if you want protection, you get protection. You know, I don't, I don't come and wrap the condom on there for you. You got to do that yourself. <laughs> yeah. Whatever that means. Um. <laughs> I might, might have to cut that, that, but that makes sense though. It does make sense. Honestly, I have no idea what that means. How does that not make sense? I don't know. <laughs> oh shit. Big Vax energy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're both partially vaccinated, right? 50-50. You didn't get the trash uh, Johnson & Johnson one, right? Bro, if you get the J&J or the Moderna, you definitely take well shots of tequila at the bar. I'm sorry, I'm a Patron drinker. Obviously, I'm going to get that top of the line. I need that Pfizer. Put it in me. <laughs> yeah, that's a fact. But we both got our vaccinations. I, I didn't mind because... At my job currently, even though I'm leaving, we don't have to wear masks if you're vaccinated. So that was part of it. And then another part was, especially in New York, to go to events and go to football games like at the Bill Stadium and whatnot, you're going to need your vaccination. You're, you're going to need the card to prove that you're vaccinated. So I was like, fuck it. Might as well just get it done, get it over with. I, I just assume that we're going to need it in the coming months. And, you know, why, might as well just uh, do my part in society, get vaccinated, not be one of those guys that thinks you know they're gonna chip you and get autism or, or whatever yes i mean speaking of the chip has has your wi-fi gotten any better that 5g hell nah it's worse My right still trash it worse <laughs> <laughs> it's the chip interfering with it Bro, people are so dumb because you know people actually believe that, right? Yeah, one hundred percent. It's not a meme. No, it's not. People actually believe that the government is chipping you while they're tweeting that or posting that on Facebook from their phones that track every <laughs> single thing that you do, track everywhere you go, any picture you take has a geolocation attached to it. Like, how dumb can you be? The the government already has what they want if they want to track you. If you commit a crime, they they have it you you're holding it right now probably you know you're listening to this podcast on it and it's it's listening to you too <laughs> people are shot bro What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 142 of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are going to be running through some NFL news stories and discussing their impact on the fantasy landscape. We'll be giving our thoughts on the Aaron Rodgers saga, the Julio Jones drama, and a handful of other interesting headlines, including the Bucks resigning Antonio Brown, Joe Mixon's potentially expanding role in the Bengals offense and Jalen Rager getting moved in the Eagles formation. We'll also close out the show with a brand new segment, a little 1v1 mano e mano. Benny H from New York versus Big Joe. Make sure you stick around for that. And if you're new to the podcast and like what you hear, you can support us by subscribing on whatever podcast platform you use, whether that be Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Podcast Addict. We are everywhere. And if you'd like to, you can find us on YouTube at the DFS Dose, where we produce fantasy content all week, every week, and live stream on Mondays. Joey, like I said, we've got NFL news galore and we're going to get through all of it. But first, let's start off with some best ball industry news. DraftKings launched their best ball tournament last week. Yep. DraftKings launched a massive best ball tournament. Forgot to throw that in there. A $20 buy-in, 150 max, which is pretty standard, 203,000 entries. So it's pretty much like a Millie maker, $3.5 million prize pool, 13.3% rake. First gets 1,021,050. 
$162. Second, massive drop-off for second place, 250 k Third gets 150 k Fourth gets $100,000. So just a massive best ball tournament, the biggest ever tournament, if I'm not mistaken. And I will definitely be firing entries into this because the users on DraftKings are terrible. It's not like underdog or drafters where the majority of people you draft with actually have some type of clue of what they're doing. That is not the case on DraftKings. They are very inexperienced and there is a massive edge to be had on DraftKings. And for that reason, I'm definitely going to be entering into this tournament, firing a couple bullets, probably won't max enter because i don't got it like that you know i'm just Uh a couple more crypto crashes away from being (laughs) homeless so definitely got to fire some entries into it for sure yeah 100 and to me it's about balancing how much i want to deal with what i i think is the worst ui in best ball right now versus the softest field because i enjoy best ball drafts right like that's why i primarily Mm -hmm. use drafters because i think it's the easiest to use it's the most fun there's a good chat aspect to it it's it's just good underdog i like as well but i don't love the scoring format the half ppr dk combines some of the best aspects of each this should be the best tournament it's 20 rounds so the edge is bigger there's more choices to make more places to make mistakes and more places to be correct it's 12 man drafts so it's decently sized and there's a playoff structure with DraftKings bonuses if you play dk dfs then you'll know you get 300 yard passing bonuses you get 100 yard receiving bonuses or rushing bonuses for skill position players so it adds adds to the strategy it adds to what you're going to be trying to build in terms of stacks but goddamn the UI is bad you know mm-hmm. the user interface if you join a draft on your phone right you log on to desktop go to my active contest it says app only you can't click in you can't join the draft room it has the worst UI and this is the most successful biggest dollar company out there in best ball right now yeah i mean the UI is just terrible especially since you can't really draft on your PC. I mean, you can, and some people in our Discord chat, which you could join down below in the description, have provided some workarounds to be able to draft on desktop. Shout out to them. But I mean, like, if you're drafting on your phone, like, you're you're kind of a stone donkey, to be Mm -hmm. honest. I don't do anything on my phone when it comes to fantasy or DFS, especially with DraftKings. I do everything on the PC. You know, you can have multiple tabs open, have all of the information you need. And I just don't want to sit on my phone and draft. That's kind of like the biggest thing just by how it looks like. I think it looks fine just from the app and the best ball lobbies and whatnot. But not being able to draft on desktop is just terrible. So kind of just, you know, makes me want to go to underdog and drafters Mm -hmm. for now until, you know, they provide a solution for this issue yeah and i don't know if they're even working on one um it just makes no sense to me as to why it would be app only uh they've had a year to correct this we talked about this same thing last year and i thought for sure once they relaunched best ball it would have been corrected but it has not i guess we'll have to see if they listen to the feedback this time yeah who knows probably not they don't care (laughs) they know people are gonna draft on there either way and we saw last year that they gave away a bunch of free tickets. So we'll have to see if that happens again this year. I don't think it will because they did release it relatively early this go around, unlike last year. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with it. But I I don't think a lot of experienced players are drafting on DraftKings as, you know, their main best ball platform. I think that's underdog, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Yep. I I think that there is definitely some legitimacy 
to that. All right, let's get into the main portion of the show. It's been a pretty news-heavy week for you know the end of May in terms of NFL. We've got a lot of big stars making big stories, and we've also got OTAs underway, so we've got some smaller stories popping up as well. But let's start off with the main thing, the Aaron Rodgers uh, situation. This has been brewing for weeks, and it continues to get more and more dramatic. We've got pictures of him on vacation, skipping OTAs, along with the five other top receivers for the Packers. Rodgers had a quote on ESPN the other day saying it was never about the draft pick referring to Jordan Love says his tension with the team comes down to culture character and maybe forgetting it is about the people that make this thing go so to me it just sounds like he's disrespected but I saw you tweet that you think that you know that quote was insinuating Rodgers would be back and that was kind of the end of the story is that what you got from that yeah I I personally believe he's going to play for the Packers in 2021. Like, shout out to Rodgers for going on ESPN, doing that interview, and basically just throwing shots at the Packers front office and at the Packers GM. Like, I respect him for that. You know, maybe there is sort of an issue with the Packers culture in the front office basically not caring about Rodgers or providing him weapons or or whatever he thinks is wrong. So I, I respect him for that. But at the end of the day... The Packers are adamant on not trading him. He still has three years left on his contract. So what that tells me is that either he's going to play for the Packers or he's going to retire to go host Jeopardy. Which one is it? (laughs) All right. I don't think he's going to retire to go host Jeopardy. I think this man wants to play football. And the only way he's going to play football for the next three years is in Green Bay. So this boy better show up to minicamps next month. That's when this whole thing will get serious if he doesn't show up to minicamps because that's when the fines come in. OTAs are optional. So it's not really much of a story in my opinion because a lot of players skip OTAs. And I know that his wide receivers also skipped OTAs as well. Let me let, Con- let me stop you right there because I just want to say that, yes, it's, it's not a huge story about players skipping OTAs, but it's a big story that Aaron Rodgers is doing it because he's also following it up by going on this entire media campaign and making his displeasure with the team a public story it's, it's very different i think than just a random guy not showing up and being like all right i'll be there next month yeah <laughs> no yeah yeah you're 100 right it, it is definitely different but i think he's just trying to make the packers organization realize their wrongdoings and his displeasure with the organization so he's being petty i mean this is a guy that isn't liked by his family for whatever reason right so who knows what goes on in Rogers head. He's probably a sociopath to be honest. (laughs) So yeah, just back to, back to the point. I do believe that he's going to play with the Packers. Like I said, it's either play football or don't play football. I think we know which lane he will choose football or jeopardy. Which one do you think? I mean, I I think it's football. I just, I guess I'm curious from Rogers perspective, like what his end goal is. It doesn't seem like he wants money. He doesn't, it doesn't seem like he, this is about a contract extension. It seems like it's purely an emotional thing. So maybe it's the principle, right? So, so what's the solution there? There might not be one ego is involved. Yeah. I mean, ego security. (laughs) God, I feel like I'm in psychology class right now. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what will fix the situation in Rogers' head. I think it might be too far gone for that, but it seems like the Packers are willing to work with Rogers and fix whatever 
you know, situation has happened over the last two or three seasons or whatever's making him feel like that. It seems like, you know, they're willing to go to the table and talk to him about it. So we'll have to see on that front. Other than that, I think he's playing for the Packers. So if you can get him, you know, as the quarterback 10, and I would only draft him if you draft Devontae Adams, just like I did on our uh, best ball stream on Monday, I think then he's a good pick. But other than that, I'd I'd probably stay away from him. Yeah, and the final point I want to make is I just want to shout out the five Packers wide receivers who also didn't show up. Devontae Adams had quotes where he said, you know, I I don't know if I want to play for Green Bay if Rodgers is gone. I like that his boys are sticking with him. I I love that camaraderie, that brotherhood that they're cultivating there and, you know, subtly making Jordan Love look probably god-awful in camp. You know, he's going there. (laughs) He's throwing to the Packers wide receiver six and seven. I'm sure that that's not a pretty sight. (laughs) Yeah, probably not, but hey, maybe Amari Rogers will uh, reach the moon this year then. Maybe, maybe. Let's talk about another big NFL star with some potential ego contract disputes going on. And while I think that there's a certain amount of mystique and uncertainty with how this Rodgers situation ends up playing out, it seems like a foregone conclusion to me that Julio Jones has ran his last route with the Atlanta Falcons. Some more news broke on this story today. Tensions apparently started during the 2019 contract negotiations. Contract negotiations that ended in Julio Jones signing a $66 million extension with the team but it felt like the disrespect that he felt during those contract talks sparked this unhappiness with the team and things sort of came to a head this week when there was an incident on Undisputed I want to say where Shannon Sharp apparently cold called him Julio maybe didn't know that he was on the line maybe he did I don't know well do you think the call was staged first of all I mean it it was clear-cut staged it had to be like Mm -hmm. There's no way around it because I know that you're a journalism major. I've taken journalism classes. I've taken, you know, law classes, ethics classes. And if you've taken any of those classes, you would know that if that wasn't staged, that was illegal. Literally illegal under federal law. It's called the Federal Wiretap Act, which makes it illegal for any person to secretly record an oral, telephonic, or electronic communication that other parties to the communication reasonably expect to be private. You saying Shannon Sharp tried to pull a Nixon? Boy, went all Watergate on it. That's swear to God. So if Shannon Sharp did not notify Julio Jones that he was being recorded for his television audience, what he did is a federal crime. So there was absolutely no way this wasn't staged if you just look at it from a legal perspective. And from Julio's perspective, like you mentioned, he's been displeased with the organization since 2019. He did this to put pressure on the Falcons organization to make a trade happen. We've seen quotes come out over the last couple of days that have said Julio Jones has requested a trade since before the draft, before free agency, if I'm not mistaken. So that was two, three months ago that he's been wanting a trade and they haven't granted his wishes. So I think that's why Julio did it and he just wants out of Atlanta. It's kind of a foregone conclusion at this point that he's not going to play for Atlanta in 2021, I believe. I agree. And uh, if you dig into the contract, it seems that because of the way it's formatted, uh, they really can't move him until after June 1st, which is only a couple of days from now. So I think even potentially by the time that we record our next podcast, Julio could be on another team. So we can talk about this from two perspectives. We can go into how it leaves the Falcons without Julio and where Julio goes from here. Let's start off with the Falcons fallout, though. I mean, how severe of a downgrade is this to Matt Ryan? I don't know if it's like a 
major downgrade. I think I would downgrade him a little bit because obviously you're losing a top tier talent in Julio if he gets traded. But then again, Matt Ryan led the NFL in pass attempts last year. They're bringing in Kyle Pitts, who they drafted at number four overall, should factor in immediately. They still have Kelvin Ridley, who should see the biggest boost if Julio were to leave. So they still have playmakers there. It's still one of the most offensive friendly schemes with Arthur Smith there now. And the Falcons still have an atrocious defense, which would obviously put the Falcons in positive game scripts for Matt Ryan to throw the ball a ton. So I don't know if it downgrades him too much, but I think it could downgrade him a little bit. He should still be a viable fantasy option in 2021. Yeah, I think it just lowers his ceiling. Obviously, yeah, having no Julio Jones bit. is is going to take a significant amount of yards out of there unless Kyle Pitts really just jumps in and puts up 12, 1300 as a rookie. Yeah, which we know by the trends of the NFL that that is probably unlikely if we're following you know the historical trends with Kyle Pitts but we do know that Kyle Pitts is a freak of nature and I wouldn't put it past him to go for a thousand yards and 10 touchdowns in his rookie year so I'm I'm still high on Kyle Pitts and if Julio Jones leaves I mean Kyle Pitts to the moon bruh swear to God you know who else is going to the moon is Calvin Ridley and I mean I I think if Julio's out of the picture I think that wide receiver one overall is his ceiling for sure and I, I have his stats without Julio all right, you ready for them? They're crazy. Lay it on me. So in eight games that he has not played with Julio Jones, seven of them were last year. One of them was in 2019. He averaged 7.25 catches, 107 receiving yards per game, and he scored three touchdowns total in those games. And he averaged 11.1 targets per game in those eight games without Julio, coming out to 19 fantasy points per game. But the crazy thing is, is if we extrapolate those numbers to a 17 game season without Julio Jones, obviously they're adding Kyle Pitts in, which will factor in. And these are kind of just raw numbers, 123 catches, 1800 yards on 189 targets. That's just obviously averages and that probably won't happen. But I do think that it's in the range of outcomes. I mean, he had 1,300 yards last year and nine touchdowns on 90 catches. So I definitely wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility of him seeing 170 plus targets in 2021. And I wouldn't put it out of possibility that he doesn't finish as the wide receiver one because I think he has a legitimate shot to finish as the overall wide receiver one with no Julio Jones. The thing about Calvin Ridley that he's been able to do even in his young career that Julio was never able to do was just score touchdowns at a high rate. I mean, if you look at Calvin Ridley's first three seasons in the NFL, he scored as many touchdowns as Julio has since 2016. That's five years for Julio Jones. So Calvin Ridley is just an elite touchdown scorer. He he always has been since entering this offense. And, you know, Arthur Smith's offense is one that really doesn't rely on multiple alpha wide receivers. You know, we saw A.J. Brown be a clear-cut dominant alpha in Tennessee, and I think Calvin Ridley could slide into that role immediately. Mm-hmm. I think he's worth a pick at this 2-3 turn, and I think he's worth a pick in the second round straight up if his ADP rises. I think we're both all aboard the Calvin Ridley wide receiver one train if Julio Jones gets traded, which we both think will happen. So, And then turning the conversation back to Julio Jones on underdog right now, he's going as the wide receiver 16 with an ADP of 40.5. That's the fourth round. How realistic do you think it is that he lands in a spot that severely damages his value or that severely increases his, his value? Because it seems like it's going to be hard for him to land in a better spot. Yeah, I think there's probably one spot that would be better and 
that would be the Chiefs with Mahomes. I, I think if he goes to the Chargers, who are the third team in terms of odds to land Julio, um, I, I think that would be a good spot. And then can, the Titans. Can, can you list those odds? for the listeners yeah. and for myself. Yes, they had Falcons at plus 300, so th- they think the Falcons are the leading team for him to play in 2021. Patriots at plus 450, Titans plus 500, Chargers plus 550. So those are the top four teams. Um, It's looking like those teams are the contenders right now for Julio Jones. And I think the only team where he gets a significant downgrade is the Patriots, one, one million percent. I, I think... It would be an upgrade for Cam to have that alpha wide receiver one, but I'm not really expecting Cam Newton to become a quarterback that can support multiple fantasy assets at this point point in his career so I, I think that's clear cut the worst spot is the Patriots when you say it would be difficult for for Cam to you know support multiple receivers you're, you're saying that because you know Julio would have to contend with some other big time alphas like Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar correct that's that's the point you were trying to make <laughs> yeah I mean Jacoby Myers mostly yeah I mean and and we definitely don't want him going to the Titans where he's behind AJ Brown Josh Reynolds and Anthony Ferkser in terms of targets either that's a fact I nah, I think I think the Chargers, Titans, and and Chiefs are the best spots for him, and where he doesn't lose value. Did you see AJ Brown's uh, DM to him? Uh, no, I did not. He sent him a DM. It was a voice note, uh, just you know, being like, "Yo, come on, let let's get it." Um, but I'm not changing my number, so you would have to change yours. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what a guy but nah but I I think Julio Jones obviously he's still an alpha wide receiver one there there's just some competition on those teams for targets like you know Keenan Allen is going to get targeted the tight ends are going to get targeted Eckler will get targeted but he'll have more targets than those guys I'm I'm not saying that he's going to be behind in targets It, it just not might be as much as he would get in Atlanta where it's really just Ridley him and and now Kyle Pitts. Correct. And I guess final thing before we wrap this Julio convo is, is are you excited about Russell Gage or Olamide Zacchaeus? These are guys that have been buzzing lately as uh, especially Russell Gage. People seem bullish on him. Yeah, I'd be willing to draft Russell Gage at his current ADP. If it jumps a couple rounds after a Julio trade is completed, then I don't know if I would have much exposure to him. Right now, as it stands, I think Gage is a fine buy at his ADP. He he should see more opportunity if Julio's gone. So that that's what you want in your wide receivers is you want them to be on the field and get targets. And Gage has shown in the past, um, especially last season with Julio Jones missing seven or eight games or however many games he was out, that you know he, he's a capable wide receiver in the NFL. And if he gets targets, he'll rack up catches and yards. Yeah, I, I struggled to wonder what Gage's ceiling is. And I've seen people saying that, you know, he's going to be worth the 10th, 11th round pick. I don't think I could go there. I think his floor would definitely be raised quite a bit without Julio, but I just, I don't know what the ceiling is. And let's all settle down with calling him the wide receiver too in Atlanta. Like Kyle Pitts is squarely ahead of him before he's ever played a snap. Yeah, I I agree with that take. All right. While we're on the subject of aging elite wide receivers, let's talk about Antonio Brown, who officially re-signed with Tampa Bay this week, going on underdog as the wide receiver 47th with a ninth round ADP. How do you feel about Antonio Brown? Brown returning to Tampa Bay to play alongside Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Tom Brady. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like he could be a good fantasy option 
in Tampa Bay. I, I will say he did average 14.6 points per game in PPR last year in his eight games in Tampa Bay, which was good enough for wide receiver 24 in terms of points per game, that is. And he's being drafted as the wide receiver 47. So there there might be some value there, right? But he is an aging wide receiver. I think his better days are behind him at this point. If we're talking about competition for targets, there's plenty of that in Tampa Bay. And that was kind of the concern last year with him. Evans, Godwin, Gronk, Tyler Johnson, Jalen Darden, who they drafted this year, and then they still have Scotty Miller. So I think all of those guys will be on the team. And then we know that the running backs are going to get targets and work. They signed Gio Bernard. I just don't see a ceiling with Antonio Brown, but he could have some value if you're just looking at the points per game and where he's going right now in underdog. So it's just all about how you want to build your teams. If you want a guy that's going to score you probably 10 to 12 points per game, game. Antonio Brown is your guy for 2021, but I want those guys that can score me 25, 30 points per game any given week, every single week. And I don't think Antonio Brown is that guy. So for that reason, I'm probably staying away from him and I have zero shares of him across all of the best ball sites. I agree wholeheartedly with that take. And just speaking to your point about his best days being behind him, you know, AB's 10.7 yards per catch last year was the lowest he's had since his rookie year in 2010. 10. He was still on pace for a season average of over 120 targets and 90 receptions. So he could get there off of volume, but I just, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm always betting against wide receivers who are at the age of 33 after they've switched teams and after there are younger, more explosive, more in their prime wide receivers on the team. And I would consider both Mike Evans and Chris Godwin to be that. So mm-hmm. in the ninth round, the price tag is too expensive for me. I'm fading Mr. Big Chest. All right, let's move on to some running back news and focus on a guy that we have been disagreeing about on this podcast for years, Joe Mixon, currently going as the running back 12 on underdog and There's been increased speculation following some comments by the Bengals offensive coordinator about Joe Mixon never leaving the field in the absence of Gio Bernard wanting to get him more involved in the passing game. So my question to you is, do you think that he can take that next step as a receiving back? It seems that he's always had the talent to be a receiving back, but the team overvalued Gio Bernard and and failed to utilize him in that way. And it seems like that may no longer be the case going forward. (sighs) God, are we talking about Joe Mixon again? I hate this guy. I'm not even going to lie. Do I think he can take a step forward? Yes, right? (laughs) I do think that Joe Mixon is a capable running back in the NFL as much as that pains me to say. And if the coaches are saying that they don't want him to leave the field, I guess he's a good pick. I will say in 2018, he he did have 55 targets, 43 catches. So that was that was pretty solid. And he's gone over 30 catches in three out of his four years. And he would have had 30 plus last season if he didn't get hurt. So I, I feel like he's been used enough in the passing game to give him good fantasy production right but for for me it's just hashtag never joe mixon just no i don't want joe Joe mixon hashtag never joe mixon say it with me i i won't say that no i'm sorry (laughs) i i just feel like joe mixon is a guy that routinely disappoints in fantasy and you can look at his fantasy finishes he's finished as you know an rb1 in however many years and he finished as what the RB 13 overall in 2019 and the RB 10 in 
points per game last year. But the true statistic that you want to look at, especially if you're playing best ball, and that's what we're talking about. How many times does he have a ceiling game? Let me let me give you the statistic. He only has two, two 20 plus point PPR games over his last 23 games played. That's talking about the end of 2018, his whole 2019 season, and 2020. Now, I will say the offense is improving. Joe Burrow will come back. They've added, you know, Jamar Chase. They got talent on the offensive side of the ball. But what are the chances that the Bengals just stay bad and stay like the Bengals? I I think there's a pretty decent chance that happens. I think Zach Taylor is not that great of a head coach. And Mm. and we could talk about the Bengals offense from a fantasy perspective. I like it, which kind of makes me sort of like Joe Mixon, but he's just always been a guy. He's never been that guy that's going to win you weeks every single week. It's just that simple for me. If he can't get those 25, 30 point games, if that's not in his range of outcomes, which at this point it might not be, why am I drafting him? You feel me? I think you're making a pretty compelling argument, but I've got to step in here and say that past results don't indicate future success. No, you're right. Okay, and, and you're, you're right. speaking a lot about Andy Dalton years and Ryan Finley years, and but whatever we hear other it every year. This is the best Bengals year. offense of our lifetime. I heard that last year. Joe Burrow got hurt. <laughs> I heard that last season. And Joe Mixon <laughs> had one good game. <laughs> Burrow was hurt. He had a 45-point game against Jacksonville, the worst team in football last year. And then he hurts his foot. How will that affect him? He'll be fine. He's going to bounce back. Joey, how much money did we make on DraftKings last year fading concern about injured players coming back, you know, not being 100%? And in 2020, you know, you speak to his reception totals, but despite only playing six games, he was averaging a career high 4.33 targets per game. You extrapolate that over 17, he's getting 73 targets on the season. And I think that Joe Mixon will have the natural touchdown upside being in the high-powered offense that they're in. And if he's able to take that step as a receiver, and a lot of that I think comes down to utilization not talent. I think he's always had that talent. It's just going to be a matter of whether or not the team uses him that way. It seems like they're going to. Then I think Joe Mixon has an elite ceiling and RB12 seems like a value. Yeah, I mean... You, you do make some some good points, but I, I think for me is that people show you who they are over time. And, okay. you know, I, I know that results in 2018, 2017 really don't matter when we're projecting for 2021 but over four years he has just shown us that he is not that guy I'm sorry he's not that guy everybody loves to be in denial over this man year in and year out saying this is Joe Mixon's year this is Joe Mixon's year this is Joe Mixon's year is it really ever gonna be Joe (laughs) Mixon's year I don't know. It, it might be. I could be wrong. And I'm not saying he's a bad pick. I'm not, I didn't say that in, the, in this whole discussion. Never said he was a bad pick. I'm just saying that I probably won't pick him because I know better. Okay. I know better than to draft Joe Mixon and trust a man that punches women. <sighs> I didn't think you were going to go there. And, and, you know, you got it. That's you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm not coming to his defense after you got it. You got it, bro. <laughs> okay. No, nah, I'm I'm uh, just I'm just messing. I'm just messing. No, I know. You you got it. All right. Let's, 
<laughs> Let's move on to another backfield that I think is actually very interesting. And you want to talk about a player that I have absolutely no exposure to, and that's Jeffrey Wilson Jr. I'm sorry to all the donkeys out there that thought he was going to be something this year. Don't know what led you to believe that, but Jeff Wilson Jr. from the 49ers tore his meniscus. He's going to be out for a significant portion of the beginning of the season, and that leaves us with Trey Sermon, Raheem Mostert, and Wayne Gallman in the 49ers backfield. This is an offense that should be on the rise with Trey Lance, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. It seems loaded at all levels. My question to you regarding the backfield is how are you going to be valuing these guys? Are any of them going to have a consistent enough role for you to be interested at their ADPs? Sermon, 7th round, Mostert, 7th round, and Gallman, a 18th round pick on underdog. Yeah, so I don't think I'll be interested in any of them at their current ADPs. I think a 7th round tag for Mostert and Sermon is too rich for my liking, um, especially for running backs that are going to be in a timeshare. And we've seen it year in and year out with Kyle Shanahan over the course of all of the teams that he's been with. He has used a running back by committee, and that will be true in 2021 with the 49ers. I still think Moster is a capable back that will get touches. He's had 100, what, 100 plus touches in each of the last two seasons, although he has dealt with injuries. I think Sermon will get work as a fourth round pick this year. And I could even see Gallman getting some touches. I don't, I don't think he's a terrible running back uh, by any means. So this is just a backfield that I'm staying away from. I'm not going to have any interest in any of these guys unless another injury occurs. You know, don't wish for injuries on players, but if it happens, then I would have some interest. But at this point in time, it's a very muddy backfield and I am staying away from it. The way I'm looking at this is value-based. And I think that Gallman is the clear-cut pick here, just because the fact that he's going 11 rounds later than both of these other players. And when we look at the 49ers backfield over the past couple of years, it has been a productive backfield. There have been monster games from certain players at certain times. It's just never consistent throughout Mm -hmm. the course of a year. So I think that all three of these guys have values. I think all three of them will probably have weeks throughout, you know, the course of the 2021 season where they are fantasy viable and they have boom weeks because that's the way this 49ers backfield works. It's, It's what it produces year after year. But for a seventh round price tag, if I'm getting two three big games out of Sermon or Mostert, I think you're passing up a lot in terms of some of the other positions you could be targeting, whether that be, you know, a high-end quarterback that's falling that could, you know, have quarterback one upside or a tight end that could separate themselves in that range. Gallman, however, I think the opportunity cost is extremely low. And I think there's a pretty good chance that Gallman, we saw it happen last year, he could find himself in a couple of starting weeks throughout the season. And, you know, if we're talking about a final round pick on underdog or, you know, 19th, 20th round pick on another site, then I think that there's some value there to be completely honest. I I mean, I agree, especially at an 18th round price tag. I just don't know how many touches he will get immediately. It will probably be two to four touches per game. Yes. But I think the value comes in later in the season when inevitably Moster or another 49ers running back goes down as it's happened every single year. Nobody gets hurt more than 49ers running backs on a year-to-year basis. That's a fact. And we saw last year that Jeff Wilson had touches. Raheem Mostert had touches. Jarek McKinnon had touches. Jamichael Hasty had touches at points. So I, I think there is some value in you know, targeting Wayne Gallman in the 18th round, but most likely it's probably a waste of a pick. But if he's your RB6, then 
you know, I, I would say it's fine. I, I don't I don't know if I if I'm targeting a running back that late besides my, my son Tariq Cohen. Mm, yeah, I mean, while Cohen's ADP is rising, I hate to break it to you, but you're you're looking at a 14th, 15th round ADP for Cohen hey, at this point. I got like 70% Cohen at at an 18th round ADP, so I'm big oh, chilling. That's a vibe. That's a vibe. I mean, speaking of a player that I just want absolutely no exposure to whatsoever, waste of a pick. Jamal Williams. Underdog ADP is RB46. ADP is 138. That's 12th round. And he was recently called a classic A-back by the Lions offensive coordinator, Anthony Lynn. And that just leads me to the to a very simple question. Does that mean that Swift is the B? Is Swift the B-back and Jamal Williams is the A? And there's no way that Anthony Lynn really believes that, is there? Anthony Lynn is, is a stone donkey, so obviously he believes it. Obviously, DeAndre Swift is the B-back. But the thing is, is Jamal Williams is, is god-awful. So I, I I ain't too worried about Jamal Williams, to be honest. But Williams is going to have a role. He He's going to get touches, as Anthony Lynn is making it seem. Am I going to draft him in the 12th round? Absolutely not. But he's going to have a role, and if DeAndre Swift goes down, Jamal Williams is going to be a workhorse. But I'd be more interested in just focusing on you know, this situation from a DFS perspective, especially in season, if Jamal Williams is like a 4K running back and he's getting 10 touches per game, then I would be interested in that part. But for best ball, absolutely not. This, this dude is horrible. He's definitely a much better dancer than he is a fantasy producer. That's actual facts. The The actual actionable bit of information I think that comes from this is that the Lions currently don't view Swift as like a clear-cut alpha. And if that's the case, he might be being wildly overdrafted at the 2-3 turn. Yeah, I've seen people talk about it in the fantasy industry. A lot of people are saying that they could care less about this news and it doesn't really uh, swing the needle that much for them and I, I think I tend to agree. I, I think the talent will win out and DeAndre Swift will end up uh, leading the Lions backfield in touches. Now, do I think he's going to be an 80-85% guy? Absolutely not, but he's going to get valuable touches in the receiving game, and he's going to probably get 55% of the uh, running back attempts. He's still going to be a very valuable fantasy running back, and he, he's he's gonna be you know Camara. every every star running back pretty much has a player in the backfield that is going to see 30 40 percent of touches we see it with Aaron Jones Jonathan Taylor's gonna have that guy DeAndre Swift's gonna have that guy J.K. Dobbins Miles Sanders so you really can't overvalue that too much in my opinion so uh, I'm not really dropping DeAndre Swift because of Jamal Williams yeah I think that's definitely a fair perspective to have let's close out with our final news story and it comes from Philly where Jalen Rager announced himself that he will primarily be playing in the slot this season in my opinion it feels a little counterproductive to be using a player who's best suited to be a deep threat in the slot but apparently with the addition of Devontae Smith's Smith is going to be the primary guy there, and Rager played just 20% of his snaps in the slot as a rookie. Do you think that that drastically increases, or is is Jalen potentially just overreacting to how he was used in the first couple of days of OTAs? No, I, I do believe that he will be their slot wide receiver. 
for the 2021 NFL season. I think it makes sense because I personally believe that Devontae Smith is more suited to be an outside wide receiver because he's just a better all-around wide receiver. And you know, there's that little saying that slot wide receivers are just like the worst wide receivers on the team. I don't think that's true with Rager. I thought it was just funny to say that, but you have Fulgham or Quez Watkins as the other outside wide receiver that will leave uh, Rager in the slot. So I, I, I think it makes sense for the Eagles scheme specifically. And I, I don't think this move really impacts his like fantasy outlook much. Obviously, he will have better matchups in the slot. But I think a lot of it also depends on Jalen Hurts and how he evolves as a passer. He wasn't that great last year in terms of passing. So we'll have to see if he can improve. Obviously, we need to see improvements out of Rager himself. So I think his absolute ceiling for 2021 is kind of like a wide receiver three probably a mid wide receiver three if I had to project it right now but for me it's just going to be interesting to see if Hertz and Rager can can take a step in their developments for 2021. Yeah and I think that Hertz could take a step forward in his development without Rager necessarily doing so because I mean the way it looks right now is that Rager would be the third option in the offense behind Smith and Dallas Goddard and then we've mm-hmm. also got Miles Sanders getting targets and at that point I just don't know what's going to be left in an offense that I'm not expecting expecting to be the most pass heavy, right? We don't think this is going to be an offense that's throwing 40 times per game. So with, you know, with Jalen Rager being a slot player on a team that may not run three wide sets at the highest rate, I'm starting to become highly skeptical of a guy that I was a pretty big fan of last year, but times change and I'm not going to get buried in that. I might be off of Jalen Rager in 21. I think that's a pretty fair take. I I still am holding out hope for him. Maybe that's because I also drafted him quite a bit last season. So maybe, you know, you're probably in, in the right getting off him sooner than later. Indeed, we will. All right. Before we end this episode, we are going to debut a new segment 1v1, Joey Mono y Mono. Ben Hover versus Joey Carrion. Player debate. One player. No mercy. Let's get into it. All right. Let's kick it off with a guy that we've been disagreeing about all 2021 offseason, and it's time to check in because he's back in the news. Chase Edmonds, ya boy. You want to make the case for him, or or you want me to go first? I'll let you go first. I'll let you go. Big mistake, because I'm coming (laughs) for your neck right now. Look, Chase Edmonds was quoted this week saying, it's now or never. Well, guess what? It's going to be never. He described himself as not your typical 20-carry guy. Yeah, look, look, Chase, we knew that. You've had two 20-touch games out of a career 45 games played. We we know that you're not going to get 20 touches, okay? You, you didn't need to tell us that. That was well-established. Now, not every running back needs to be a 20-touch guy to be, you know, viable in fantasy, you know, 100%. But if I'm going to be drafting a glorified satellite back with no red zone role, who's going to be losing goal line opportunities to both the team's quarterback and the team's more prototypically sized running back, then why am I going to be spending a six round pick on it. I could just get Devin Singletary in the 13th or Tariq Cohen in the 14th. What's the difference? This is a guy who's had under 100 touches in two out of his three seasons. When I think about upside, I do not think about Chase Edmonds. I don't think of a player who's had two 20 touch performances in their career. And I don't think of a player who, when his team gets in scoring position, is at best the fourth option in the red zone behind Hopkins, behind James Conner, and behind Kyler Murray himself, who is always a threat to take it in. He might even be behind Rondale Moore. Uh, 
your response. First of all, that last part is pure cap, Ball Rondo Moore. Don't even mention his name on this podcast. Uh, I've never capped a day in my life. But let me start it off by saying, <laughs> on this same podcast, probably 15 minutes ago, you were just saying past results don't indicate future success. Now you're using past results in your argument. So the switch up is crazy. Let me just point that out. Obviously, mm-hmm. Chase Edmonds hasn't been a touch monster so far in his career, but he had David Johnson there who was kind of in his prime at that point when he came in as a rookie. Then the next year, they had David Johnson and Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds. So you got a three running back committee there. And then last year, they had Kenyon Drake as well as Chase Edmonds. So obviously, he was never the starter. And if you're not a starter, you're not going to get a lot of opportunity. He said that in you know his press conference or whatever, the interview. He said that he didn't think he would ever get an opportunity. But he knows that he has the opportunity now. Yeah, he might be an undersized running back, yada, yada, yada. He might not be that running back that you're just going to hand the ball off and tell him to go up the middle, but he's been efficient on the carries that he's gotten in Cliff's offense. He's averaged 4.8 yards per carry, which is really fucking good, okay? He averaged four targets per game in 2020, obviously with competition in the backfield from Kenyon Drake as well. So he's a factor in the receiving game, and this man is just a dog. All right, let me read you this quote. So I'm Chase Edmonds. I'm I'm Chase Edmonds POV right now. I'm ready to run through a damn wall. I'm really ready to prove myself right. People don't understand how bad. I get what people are saying, aka Ben. I get the arguments and fuck. I really couldn't care less. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to ball out this year. I may not be your typical 20 carry guy. Not every running back is that. That's what that's what you mentioned. I feel like there's unique ways to get a player the ball a decent amount of time. It doesn't have to be a Derrick Henry or Nick Chubb style. I'm just just running up the middle. For people to believe I'm not that type of guy, that's their opinion. But I believe if I get the 20 touches in the game, I can make some special things happen. How are you not going to root for a player like that? He has that dog mentality. All right, he's going to go out there. He's going to prove everybody wrong, period. And we're not talking about James Conner. That boy is god-awful. So I don't care about James Conner being there. He's terrible. Chase Edmonds to the moon. You're wrong. Draft Chase Edmonds. <laughs> I, I like how you stopped your quote before you got to the part where you said, I understand that I might not be at the end of the game because it's going to be James Conner in there going against the stacked boxes in short yarded situations because he knows he's not about that life. He knows he doesn't have the heart to go through a stacked <laughs> box the way that James Conner does, the way that James Conner had the heart to, to beat cancer, something that you regularly disrespect on this podcast and in our streams. This man's afraid of a stacked box. He's not going to get the box. He's like a little virgin beta cuck, and I rest my case. No, he's just looking at it from a game perspective. If the the Cardinals are up and they're running the ball out, he knows that he's not going to be on the field because that's what they signed James Conner for. That's pretty apparent. I I think Chase Edmonds is is a smart guy. I mean, he went to Fordham, right? So he's pretty smart, I think. He knows that he's not going to be the grind the clock down back. That will be James Conner until James Conner gets hurt inevitably. So I, I respect him for knowing his role. But by all accounts, it seems like he's going to be the starter. By all accounts, it seems that he is going to get his wishes and get 20 touches per game. So if you can get a player that's going to get 20 touches or 20 opportunities per game, although they might not be in the red zone, I still will take that at his current ADP of running back 26 right now on underdog in the sixth round. Uh, You can 
probably get him in the seventh round if, if things go right. So I'm willing to take a chance on Chase Edmonds. I believe in his talent. I believe in him as a player. Reception upside is there. He's a better running back, I think, than Kenyon Drake. And Kenyon Drake was a top 20 running back last year. So give me all of the Chase Edmonds. Not too worried about James Conner and that that's just how I feel so all right bro I'll give it to you I think that was a pretty good segment there I just I I can't bring myself to draft a player who realistically projects to finish third on his team in rushing touchdowns in the sixth round it's gonna be a no for me dog hey hey you don't need the rushing touchdowns to beat ADP Mm, he's he's gonna he's gonna get there because of catches all right. I guess we'll see, man. Let us know if you guys were vibing with this new segment. Let us know who you think won the debate. Drop a comment, you know, leave a review, hit us up on Twitter at the DFS Dose. And I think that that is going to be it for episode 142 of the podcast. Like I said, you can follow us on Twitter, our personal Twitters as well, at Ben Hover. Joey is at Joey Carrying DFS. New episodes of the podcast drop every Thursday on Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, and every other podcast platform on the internet. We'll be back on Thursday, June 3rd with episode 143. If you care to, check out our live streams every Monday on the YouTube channel, Twitch, and Twitter. If you're listening out there, we appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic. Vibes. Vibes.